0: We are here with our fourth episode, so we're rounding out the end of section one, chapters 25 to 36. Um, And I found it really interesting because I didn't find it that interesting. Um, Like, it was very much this section was a lot more about just her traveling, Um, right? She talks about a few different trips, they go to Naples, she has a day of touring there's one chapter that's like, over the next six weeks, I blah, 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 right? So it's like, it seems like perhaps even like two months or something happened in this last 12 chapters, but it was less substantive to her and thus less interesting to me. And what I also found really interesting is whenever I thought back about what Italy was, and I think when most people reflect on the book, They think it's just like a fun little twirl through Italy, right? Um, Like that's the image I had of it in my head, at least. And that's not what the full section is about. And that's the least interesting part now that I'm actually analyzing it as I read it. But it's funny that that's the major takeaway I had in the previous times reading it.
1: Well, I would tend to agree. But first, I want to say hi, David. Hello. (laughs) So I would tend to agree with that. When I read it the first time, I is Italy never resonated for me. And as we talked about in the last uh, episode, when we talked about how it resonated, it was when she got into what she was truly feeling. This part, I found myself just skimming over a lot of it because Mm. again, it was just like a very quick travelogue right through Italy. And I felt like she kind of um, did what she needed to do in terms of the writing in Italy, as opposed to honoring what I f- felt the book was and should be. And by that, I mean that she said that she's not a traveler and she doesn't like to do these travel logs, and that's not how she travels. But then it's almost like she she ended up doing that. So she didn't stay true to what she believes I mean, of I herself as a traveler.
0: I mean, that comes across as very judgmental, like... <laughs> Like it's just my do,
1: feeling. It's my feeling. No, but
0: how do we know? Yeah, but you're projecting onto her that she must have corrupted herself. You're no, feeling. I'm
1: not saying corrupted. I'm that's just saying, that's what
0: you said. She didn't want to do this. She must have felt she had to, and it wasn't authentic to her own <laughs> what you just said, which is like there's no way for you to know that.
1: Okay, I'll rephrase. <laughs> <laughs> What I meant to say was that partway through chapter one, she spoke about the type of traveler she is.
0: So she spoke
1: about the type of traveler she is, and she she doesn't really like being that traveler. That's what she said. That's not how she generally goes. That's not her natural go-to as a traveler. That's what she said in the, in the, in the earlier parts of the, se- of, of Italy, the Italy section. Nice. And so I just found it disappointing because I was, when I came into reading this book a second time with you, I was, I was, I already had my, uh, my perception based on what I had read when I had read it the first time.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: Italy was my least favorite part of the book that time. Yeah. And so as I said in last week, when we talked about last week and how she talked about her depression and she really helped us to understand where she was, I I finally got excited by Italy. Right. And so it was like anticlimactic for me.
0: Yeah, that's fair. And I but I think it kind of like an entire life, an entire journey can't be nothing but up as well. Right. And you have to, I think it's important to remember what she came to Italy for she came to Italy to do whatever she wanted and to have more of a flippant lifestyle right like that's the reason she came here and I agree it's like not that interesting and I think it makes sense that it came right before then like I don't think she would have been able to live a year in Italy doing this because she wanted to continue her exploration and her journey but it was like um, you know there is something to be said about the ability to just kind of live freely and do whatever you want and it's not that interesting to read about it's not that interesting to be exposed to um
1: for us for you know, me I think, for yeah
0: but I some think people it, i was just going to say some
1: it, people some people do find it interesting so i was it it, i i was in another book club when i read this all those years ago Yeah. And at that point, I also said that Italy didn't resonate for me, but it was a group of my friends at the time. And a lot of them loved Italy. It was their favorite part. But I think it's all it all it all
0: right. It also
1: depends on where we are in our journeys. Right.
0: Right. But that's what I was saying at the start is that like the parts they loved about Italy are like not even half of the section. Right. Like it, it is like most of it is about her looking back and like you know, we spent two hours talking not about Italy, basically, because that's not what she's talking about for most of this book, most of this section. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's totally superficial to say that that's actually the interesting part of this section. Right.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, But I do want to get into kind of the, the parts that do happen in this section, like right off the bat, I do think there's an interesting thing where, you know, she talks about how she wishes she had the self-assurance of rome and the endurance of the augustium which is i suppose like this ancient building in rome Mm -hmm. and so it's really interesting to me how it's still like you know she's really trying to understand how to ground herself in herself and she kind of uses this exploration of um what's going on in italy more broadly um in like Italy and Europe and she says I look at the Augusteum and I think that perhaps my life has not actually been so chaotic after all um and it's like she talks about not attaching herself to a specific identity right because I think that's what a lot of people struggle with is Mm -hmm. she was a wife or she was a writer or whatever but this building the Augusteum it's been this and then that and then that and so she uses it as an example for herself of like um yeah, how important it is to just like be yourself and not worry about like the labels that you attach to yourself. And so I found that interesting, which like, so there are, I, yeah, you know, there is some important stuff in this section still. I just, I but I agree it is, um, it's a lot more focused on just kind of like the joy of traveling. But I think that's important to learn as well, that that's acceptable. I don't find it interesting to read about someone else's, but I still need to practice being able to just enjoy my own life as well and not every moment has to be an impactful moment of like this moment's changing my life this moment's like I have to live my life and enjoy it as well not every Absolutely. moment is self-reflecting
1: you know I um if we can just backtrack one second because mm-hmm. um when she was in Naples right because she had gone through um That's we were just
0: tracking let's jump in chapter
1: forward. oh chapter 20 so what chapter are you on David
0: 25
1: oh okay I'm sorry
0: Oh, no worries. We're, we, can, we can jump forward to Naples.
1: Well, yeah, because I, I did save one part of that, uh, of what she said in Naples, that really supports what you just said, how everything, you know, nothing has a label, nothing has to be permanent. Things can be organic. And she said, oh, uh, she was looking at herself in a mirror, And she said, okay, kid, live it up. I recognize that this is just temporary. Let me know when your little experiment with pure pleasure is over and I'll see what I can do about damage control. Still, when I look at myself in the mirror of the best pizzeria in Naples, I see a bright eyed, clear skinned happy and healthy face. I haven't seen a face like that on me for a long time. So she allowed herself to let go of all that. And I think it's hard for a lot of us to let go of everything that's been taught to us and what we preconceive as what we should be. And so that's why she was able to go on this flippant, pleasure seeking part of her journey in Italy, even though it didn't necessarily resonate as my favorite part, Mm. it's still to your point was an important part because it it, it can be temporary. It doesn't mean you lose yourself. You don't lose, you don't have to lose yourself in anything you do. Everything we do can be temporary and can be fleeting. Together, yeah. it all comes together and makes the whole, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think everything should be temporary and fleeting, but I no. understand that it, it,
1: that it many can, be.
0: can be. And and yeah, I, re- I highlighted that point as well to talk about because I think, you know, it's something to be said about letting yourself explore and discover what you like. Right. Cause I think, you know, her experience was a lot, was very similar to mine and many people's where it was every minute of every day was what should I be doing right now? Mm-hmm. What should I be doing? What should I be doing? And like, it's almost like a loop in your head. Should I be doing this? Is it okay that I'm doing that? Right. And so this was just, you know, whatever it is I'm doing, uh, that's fine. I also found it interesting, um, you know, that how she ended up in Naples, she like someone asked her for directions, directions, and she was like, why don't I travel anymore? And it was interesting, because like she said, well, to some people, it seems like I'm traveling, I'm in Italy, but I'm just living here. And I found that it's I've had that experience as well, like explicitly, right? Like, I was, you know, on my own journey, I was traveling and working, and I was taking some time, like off of a quote, productive career. And then I would say to people, I need a vacation. And they were like, aren't you, isn't your whole life a vacation? And it's like, <laughs> no, I'm putting in a lot of work. It's just not work that you associate with right. work and that kind of thing. And so I think it's interesting of like an external perspective looking in and also her perspective on, oh, I'm not traveling right now. I want to travel as well. And even though I'm in Italy. And so I found that interesting and that's how she ends up uh, in Naples. But I think, uh, yeah. I think that's an important point, and and she sees herself as like being happy and healthy, right? And it's right. like, and and that's just like you know an, an important point, um, even though it's like in this kind of many uh, examples of her just kind of like yeah traveling around uh, somewhat insignificantly.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, if I can touch on a point that I found really interesting um it was when she was learning about marriage because she had so many struggles in her marriage and she was really trying to understand how to have a relationship a healthy relationship and you know we're fed so much on what we think healthy relationships should be based on what we see on tv and in the media and things like that and what's perceived to be the perfect relationship Mm. and so she was she was reflecting on her parents right and on her mother specifically And she said, in that moment, it was chapter 28. In that moment, it was as if my strong mother reached across the table, opened her fist and finally showed me the handful of bullets she had to bite over the decades in order to stay happily married. And she is happily married, all considerations weighed to my father. I had never seen this side of her before, not ever. I had never imagined that she might have, what she might've wanted what she might have been missing, what she might have decided not to fight for in the larger scheme of things. Seeing all this, I could feel my worldview start to make a radical shift. And I I really started thinking about my perception of my mother, the relationships I've had with my children because their perception of me is based on what they saw and what their experiences were. Mm -hmm. And it really, um, I think, helped her to go on the next part of her journey because she's starting to see that sometimes we have to just take those things that don't necessarily sit well with us and you know you can't just discard everything because it doesn't work you have to sometimes figure out how to make it work and you know those bite the bite the bullet. That's what she talks about. Sometimes in a relationship, you just got to bite the bullet, and it's a it's the cooperation. And we never really know what's going on in else, in someone else's mind or life.
0: No, I think that's true, and I think that's important to to note. I do think you know a lot of our of what we think comes from. Um, you know, the way we experience our parents and stuff. So it makes sense that as she's struggling with her marriage, she wants to reflect on her idea of what marriage is Mm -hmm. that came from her parents. I do want to highlight two things from that section as well. Um, One is to agree with and one is to disagree with the way she frames it. You know, I think it's really important that she highlights her mother made choices in her life as we all must. And she is at peace with them. I think highlighting that it's like the reason her mom could be at peace with them is because she knew she'd chosen them. Whereas a lot of people feel like they're not actually in control of their own life. Oh, this marriage just happened to me. I just came into it. I just, whatever it is. And it's really important to say, no, like everyone is in total control of their own life. Right. Um, They have the ability to make choices and that's the only way to feel at peace and to actually start to, reconcile to deal with anything it's and and this is a if you recall during episode two i mentioned i had missed a point or afterwards i had missed a point this was actually the point is elizabeth gilbert also had to recognize she had chosen to get to that point in her marriage right and so there's like that residual guilt of then saying well but it's important to recognize the choice the one thing i want to disagree with though is this idea of who amongst us lives without sacrifice you know i have a particular view of what sacrifice means and i don't think people should sacrifice um i think if the if the mother really values the father and it's then it's not a sacrifice right and i think it's just important to frame it that way i don't like obviously we don't know the details of this marriage but i just want to highlight that um that point that i don't think uh everyone lives with sacrifice.
1: Well, and she said something that was important. And this is something my mother said to me when I was asking her about her marriage to my dad. Um, You have to understand how little I was raised to expect what I deserved in life, honey. Remember, I come from a different time and place than you do. And my mother said it to me in a way that, you know, you, you just, this was what, this, you got married to someone and you stayed with them and you worked through whatever the problems were and sometimes it wasn't great and sometimes it wasn't, it was better. But, you know, you, you, know, um, you know, she said, Elizabeth said, she didn't cop out on herself and she didn't cop out on herself. My mom didn't cop out on herself because that was the way they were raised and that was what they were taught. And they weren't really exposed to things the way that Elizabeth has been, or the way that we are, or your generation is, or the younger generation, right? So the sacrifice is different based on the time when it took place.
0: Yeah, I... I...
1: Are you there, David? Yeah,
0: whether or not, I mean, and at what age? What seems possible and at what age is so different, right? Right. Um, Now sort of bringing these two threads together, like we're we're now going to get to the point where she ends things with David. And Mm -hmm. um, it's really interesting because, you know, at the start of chapter 28, you know, she just is in Naples feeling like the fullest, happiest thing. And she says... It's this happiness that tells her she needs to perhaps end her story with him forever. And then that leads her to reflect um, on her mother. And she says, and the question now for me is, what are my choices to be? What do I believe that I deserve in this life? Um, And, you know, so she has this person, David, who she loves deeply, but who doesn't meet her needs. Right. And it's, right. it's like the emotion is there, but she's not willing to accept that type of relationship. And it's really difficult for her to say, no, my emotions are with him, but I know it's not the life I want. And that's, what's really difficult for many people is to Absolutely. balance their act, like what they know to be good for them and their emotional response. Cause you know, sometimes those don't match up. And I think you know, she really says like, I have to figure this out. I have to take control of my life. Um, and she, she sends David an email, um, saying that, you know, we're just not what each other needs, right? Like we're, I, I see how great you are, but it's not what I need and I'm not what your need. And, you know, then she, um, she just totally collapses afterwards when she hears back from him and in the car with Giovanni. And I wanna talk about that a a little bit, but I'm interested in your initial thoughts on this this part as well.
1: Well, I think that we, as we go through life, we um, experience different places where our emotional and our spiritual and our intellectual needs are. And so we draw people towards us that fit the needs of where we are in that moment. But one of the beautiful things about life is that it can continue unfolding and we can continue growing and changing or we can choose to stay the same as we are. And, you know, Elizabeth is someone who made the choice that she wasn't happy where she was. So she recognized that she needed to grow and change and continue her or evolution, for lack of a better way of saying it. And with that, when you're on that journey of evolution uh, or on your evolutionary journey, um, at times we grow away from other people, from the people that we, that we did love. And that doesn't mean that we don't love them anymore. It just means that they don't fit into our lives in the, in the trajectory that our life is going. And you know, when you, you know, she was with her first husband for quite a while, she was madly in love with David. So because you leave someone doesn't mean that you don't always have a piece of you that loves them and recognizes the good that was a part of your relationship. It's just you recognizing that they don't fit into where you are anymore. Right, and Like you were like this together and -hmm. then sometimes it just goes like this, right? You don't grow, it doesn't go like that together. And when it goes like that and the separation starts to happen, it takes a lot of strength to be able to recognize that and move on. And Elizabeth, you know, she fought her depression a few chapters back. She started to acknowledge her own courage and her own strength. And that gave her The um, that empowered her to be able to send the email to David and know that she wasn't losing a piece of herself by losing David.
0: Right, and I think that's the really important point is that she had to feel like she was with herself, that she was able to know who she was and then David didn't need to fill that hole anymore. Right. Um, There's two things I wanna add. One is there's a quote or it's a poem or something I've rupee coward is the poem or poet or, or something. And, um, it's, it says loneliness is a sign we're in desperate need of ourself. And I, that really resonates with me and this whole collapse, like it's very emotional for me because it's exactly what happened when like, you know, uh, my ex and I broke up, I just was a devastating mess because I didn't know who I was, and and so like there's something to be said about like when I was empty and she filled me up and then left, like I I had nothing left, right? Like I like she ripped out my own soul almost because I didn't have my own, right? Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said about how difficult that is, and I think if someone's like lived a fully healthy life, they won't have experienced how devastating. A loss that's that feels like when so much of like yourself seems to be attached to someone else and so it was like really it's really difficult um well and yeah
1: i was just gonna say you know elizabeth is surrounding herself now with married couples and she's seeing marriages that are lasting And she's seeing the dynamic, you know, we talked last episode, I believe it was about the couple and um, how they don't communicate well together, but they figured out how to communicate well together, right? Mm -hmm. Language difference, whatever it may be. Um, And then, you know, in this chapter, she ends up at Thanksgiving dinner with another couple in this section and so she's been watching married couples because when we grow up, the only, the, really the only bar we have to teach us about um, what couplehood looks like is our parents. Yeah. And sometimes we end up in relationships at an early age before we can experience other relationships. And so that relationship often will not, again, to your point, will not fill who we are because we're just mirroring what we saw and
0: why not. Yeah. And we're not taught to develop ourselves first.
1: Right. right? Exactly.
0: Person and find someone who fits that.
1: Exactly. We're to
0: find someone to fill our needs. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. And so she really is discovering um, who she is, what she needs. And so she's a, she's, she again has the courage and the strength to let go of what doesn't sit well with her anymore. Yeah. That's freeing. That is freeing.
0: Definitely. I I agree with that. And, uh, I just want to add as well that at the end of this chapter, she's, she's explaining it or she's crying to Giovanni, Mm -hmm. which I think like the way she captures that he can just sit there and be with her is a skill that very few people have um, to just be able to be <laughs> with someone who's being mm-hmm. emotional and not. I mean, they have a language barrier, but he she says he seems very mature and he's just there. And then he says, "Like I understand, I've been there, and I want to jump." Like yeah. we talked about, like you know, his the the English idiom versus the the Italian idiom, and so I think it's it's a nice callback that he says that, um, and then then we transition into um you know talking about self-sufficiency then we meet her sister who seems Mm -hmm. extremely self-sufficient and again this chapter is
1: polar opposite of elizabeth (laughs) yeah the um
0: the chapter is heavily about their actual touring and stuff uh, um as a lot of this part of the section is but um I just wanted to highlight. It's an interesting contrast. It's interesting to meet her sister. Um, the one thing I wanted to highlight from this chapter is around this idea of of grace.
1: Oh, so, I, have, I have that highlighted as well.
0: And I, I'm interested. Yeah, let's see. I'm interested to hear our con, uh, our views and if they they're similar or different because, you know, Elizabeth says when this, you know, a, a mother and son both get diagnosed with cancer, it's a devastating thing. And she says this family needs grace. And then Catherine says, like, this family needs like casseroles and organizes a year's worth of meals for this. And Elizabeth says maybe her sister doesn't understand that is grace. And I think it's important to highlight, though, that the Catherine's of the worlds are the one who provide the grace. Mm-hmm. And that someone like Elizabeth, who just might say they need grace, you know, our thoughts and prayers, as many Americans say, that's like, you have to actually take action, you have to actually aim to improve people's lives if you want to help them. And so I think, like, I don't know if, if Elizabeth meant it in this way, but I think to understand that. It takes action to create grace. We need to act in the world. We need to improve our own lot, the lots of others. And that's what creates uh, value and happiness in the world.
1: Well, I think of the word empathy, right? Compassion and empathy. And they manifest in so many ways. And her sister doesn't recognize the value that she brings through what she's doing. Mm. And that's where the word grace comes in. Because sometimes grace manifests in the most humblest of actions, and it's not necessarily that you need to be recognized for it. You're, you know, it's, it's truly grace when it's just done from your heart and from the place of empathy and compassion. And for me, that's what that meant. Like her sister doesn't recognize that she is truly a graceful person.
0: Right. And I think that's, you know, it's actually a really important thing in in Ayn Rand's works and in objectivism that many people who do the good action don't view their actions as good because Mm -hmm. they're taught that, you know, goodness and and morality and stuff is about like kind of the relate it's not about this world. It's not about actions you take and value you create. It's about like some sort of uh, otherworldly relationship with God or whatever it is and not just like taking action to make your life good the lives of people around you good and, and so it's I think also
1: oh sorry I was just going to say society also tends to build up the grandiosity of action and that's why I like to use the word the humble action because it's not always about the grandiose actions
0: Right. I, 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 I personally take issue with the use of humble, but I know it's not because humble isn't the opposite of grandiose to me. And I think it's important. Like Catherine in this situation would be too humble, in my view. She doesn't think she's not proud of the value she's providing to this family. Right. Humble and pride are opposites, in my view. And so she Catherine is always used to like being the servant, let's say. And, and not being proud of the value she's adding and the grace she's providing.
1: But that links back to what she watched growing up with her mother.
0: Yeah, right? I, I think so. That makes a lot of sense.
1: And Elizabeth as the youngest watched all of that. So she then took a different route, right? Because right. as you know, in the the line of, of sim- siblinghood, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but you know what I mean? Yeah. You know the yeah. oldest tends to follow that path that's set forward. And then the next one and the next one and the next one. And ev- the, the further you get away from the oldest in terms of um, siblings, usually the more, um, the ones who are further away from being the firstborn tend to be the ones who follow their own path more or question their own path more diligently.
0: Yeah, because you can kind of observe your siblings and and that kind of thing. Yeah. So that makes sense. And then it's interesting, the next chapter goes into her kind of like comparing herself with her sister and how they don't have the lives she would have expected. They're kind of in opposite shoes from what she would have expected. And it's just uh, kind of her starting to understand, okay, no, I have to just kind of figure out my own path. Right? Like this isn't like my sister seems happy. It's not the path she would have expected for her, but you know, she's enjoying her life and I need to figure out how I enjoy mine. And this is, I think, uh, I don't know. I don't, I can't find it in the book, but I have it written out. It's one of my favorite quotes from the book. And I think generally as well, it's it's better to live your own life imperfectly than another's life with perfection, right? So
1: it, I have that highlighted here. So from the book specifically, it's the bad, Bhagavad Gita so it's an ancient Indian yogic text that says that it is better to live your own destiny imperfectly than to live an imitation of somebody else's life with perfection
0: right and,
1: and it both of us Obviously, it hit it resonated for both of us. So yeah,
0: I think it's, it's really something I I, it's in my quote journal. And it's one that I reflect on, or I would reflect on very often, that, again, so many people look and try and understand, okay, who do I want to emulate? How do I emulate their life? you know, I want to be perfect. And so let me follow some sort of explicit guidelines. And it's like, no, you have to live your life and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to err and you're going to have to correct, but that's better, right? You have to, it's better to struggle through. And I don't think it's a struggle. So that's a bad word. I think it's more important to work through, work your way through your own life and discover Mm -hmm. it and discover how great that is then to try and always see like, oh, this is the mold I want to fit. Let me fit my life into that mold. And I think too many people's uh, unhappiness comes from this very
1: issue. Absolutely. And, you know, she talked about, there was two words I highlighted, selfishness and responsibility. And so we're taught not to be selfish. We're taught that everything we do for ourselves is selfish. And we're taught that responsibility is the end all and be all, and that we have to be responsible to others, whether it's our work or it's who we serve or it's our family. And really and truly, as Elizabeth's taking herself back, she's realizing it's okay to be selfish. It's okay to put myself first because, you know, whenever you, um, in so much reading that I've done, it says if you can't love yourself, how are you gonna love somebody else? You have to love yourself. You have to be selfish for yourself so that you can be the healthiest for the people that you choose to be with and the people that you love. And what does responsibility really look like? You have to be responsible to your own vision of what you want to be your life to be. And then you can be wholly responsible and it's not about being responsible for other people. It's about being there for other people, providing compassion, providing empathy, providing support.
0: Because they're a value to because you. Because
1: they're a value to you. And that's where your responsibility lies, right?
0: And I think, yeah, one, an important distinction is to kind of break out the two ways people use responsibility. I'd call them obligation and duty. right? Right. An obligation is something you've taken upon yourself. If you have a kid, you if you choose to have a kid, you have an obligation to that child. Mm -hmm. But this idea of duty of just like, you're supposed to, you're supposed to be responsible for all of these things you didn't choose. Like, I think that's what really is detrimental. So I, I like, and I think that's what she understands is she has to be, it would have been irresponsible of her to have a child at that point
1: absolutely it's
0: like the duty of the wife to have the child right Mm -hmm. and and it would have become a responsibility she did not want to have um if she had chosen to have the child so I think that's a really important thing as well and and you know your contrast of or, or your highlighting of those two terms is is very important thank you um and so now we get to chapter 31 where um over the next six weeks so now we see how kind of like she captures in less than a page six weeks of her just kind of touring around she lists oh she's gone to a ton of different places because again like I think it's just her kind of having fun and and uh it's not anything supremely important as far as I understand it but it is something to be said about exploring and and finding yourself and finding what you enjoy doing. And she says, I can go wherever I want. Uh, and and very few people, like, it's almost like you need total freedom of doing nothing to realize it. But like, every day I wake up and I know I can do anything. I can literally do whatever I want. And that's incredible, right? And very few people realize that. For me, it was an interesting thing. like. I kept traveling because I felt that freedom traveling, but as soon as I came back to Toronto or Canada, I didn't feel it. And I had to understand like, why didn't I feel it? Why didn't I sense that freedom? And so I think it's, it's, it is kind of what she's exploring in this last section is just, no, I can do anything, right?
1: What I loved about it, one of the things that I really enjoyed and I loved about this was she went through all the beauty of Italy and she ended in Sicily, Sicily, which was ugly and like imperfect by Italian standards. It was the, it was the culmination of imperfection by Italian standards. However, the people who lived in Sicily didn't look at it as imperfect. Right. And so, you know, they, she went in the restaurant and the woman was standing on the table in her bare feet. And then she said, you know, make me whatever you have that's your best food, right? Like, she, she, the imperfection, you know, it goes back to what we were talking about before about how people have this preconceived notion of what perfection should look like, but it manifests differently for everybody. And so that was a perfect way for me in terms of her going on her Italian journey because I actually enjoyed the Sicily part the best from the book, like from that section.
0: Yeah, you're so yeah, Sicily is how it ends. Um,
1: oh, sorry, I jumped ahead.
0: No, no, it's no problem. But yeah, so it's like, you know, in these last, it's only about 20 pages. She captures maybe two months of the rest of her time in Italy. Right, um, And yeah, in Sicily, nothing particularly stuck out at me. I I think it's, um, it was just interesting to explore and she kind of is more reflective and and she, um, you know, there's two things. Oh, wait, I want to backtrack before I jump into Sicily, my brain. Okay,
1: because I have a lot of notes actually on Sicily. That was where I took most of my notes.
0: Yeah, so there's this interesting, I have a passage here. Um, that I don't know what it means so unfortunately oh here Um, it's like the melancholy okay so when she's in Venice first um, so she's traveling around she goes to Venice and she says Venice is has a lot of melancholy right and but she has an important realization that it's not her melancholy like, so the mood around her is sad, but it doesn't absorb into her mind. And I think that's a really important and powerful mm-hmm. thing to understand. Um, I had a very specific experience that was similar to this. And I think it's important to read and really understand what she's going through here is it's the city's melancholy, but I'm healthy enough to know the difference between it and me. And, you know, the city is a big thing, but people have that with, you know, a work environment or a family environment. And like, it's hard to be in a negative environment and not let it impact yourself, Mm -hmm. but really hold it separate as like, I know that's their melancholy, that's their sadness. I don't have to take it on. And for me, there was a, I did a 10 day meditation retreat and there was this really interesting experience in the opposite way. I was in a miserable mood And it was just an absolutely beautiful day. It was, everything was perfect about the day and I was miserable and I started laughing because until that point, when you're in a really negative space or when I was in a depression or whatever, it made the world seem bad, right? Like it really clouds the world. And in that moment I realized, no, literally everything about this situation is perfect. I'm just in a really bad mood, but that's okay. It's okay to be in a bad mood, but it doesn't mean the world is ending. And so it was the same experience, but from the opposite perspective. And I think like understanding that there is that difference is a really important point on a lot of people's journeys.
1: Absolutely, and for me, it was always about not absorbing the energy around me. And I really had to learn how to shield myself, especially in the workplace or even in family situations so that I could go in and not be affected. You know, a a perfect example is, you know, the way we are in family dynamic, right? So I was my parents' child and I know what the dynamic was when I grew up. And I remember going to Florida for three months um, to stay with my parents. And I think it was the first or second day I got there and my parents started getting into their dynamic. And I remember lying in bed with my husband because I had just had surgery and I was crying and crying because it was like, I felt like I was absorbing my parents and that I was taken back to when I was a little kid. And I'm now in my forties, that I was like that little kid again. And I really had to identify what was going on there. And the next day I said to my parents, I don't live this way anymore. I don't live with this dynamic. This is not the dynamic I like to have around me. So while I'm here, please try and respect that I cannot, I cannot listen to this. I cannot be exposed to it. I choose, not that I cannot be, I choose not to be. I make the choice not to go there. And that was a huge thing for me in, in my journey to be able to identify that and then set the boundary. Because that's part of it. You know, Elizabeth was recognizing that she could now set boundaries. So Mm -hmm. when she went to Venice, she identified the melancholy and she put up her protective fence, not a bad protective fence, the shield that said, I'm here, that's there. And how far am I willing to go? And how far am I willing to let it in?
0: Right. And I think right? that's such an important skill that pe- many people don't have, unfortunately. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And so, you know, then we get to, she's back in Rome, and this is an interesting conversation and also an interesting um, aspect of, of Liz's journey. So she talks with Julio about Rome's word being sex. And then they <laughs> get into a discussion of just like each place and each person having like their own word of what is their defining thing. And I don't have any specific insights around this. I don't know what my word is or or anything like that. Although I wrote I, something down. Actually. I
1: was going to ask you what your word is.
0: Um I think it I don't remember exactly. It was something like strive. I've previously like picked three words for myself, but I it's something like I'm always It's like, I'm aspirational. I always aim at the highest and I just wanna be with people who aim at the highest. And so aspirational or strive, something like that.
1: She actually talks, I forget which city she says is strive but she talked about, they talked about, I think success and
0: achieve
1: achieve and success, (laughs) right? And how they're different. So that to me, they, I mean, strive links into the same kind of thing, right? To me, in my mind, aspire
0: more so. Right. uh, Yeah. yeah, No. And then it's interesting because then she goes and buys herself like sexy lingerie, and (laughs) like, who's this for? For whom? For whom? And she's like, I just want to feel good about myself. And it's really interesting that like she's not planning to sleep with anyone. She's going to India to be in an ashram. (laughs) It's not going to be used, but she's just buying it for herself, which I found interesting as well. Right. Um, and then we get to another really moving scene in Thanksgiving right so they're having this kind of Thanksgiving dinner and they go around and say their gratitudes I know for their thanks and then the daughter just like thanks them all for being kind to her because she's struggling right now and it's just like such a real and authentic moment um, with all of them being grateful with each other and, and just like I don't know. Again, I don't, I just wanted to highlight it. Um, Cause I, I think lo- it's really moving.
1: I loved when they were all crying and um, hold on. I'm just going to find out who said it. Luca. So the father, right. The man who was hosting uh, said he was so clutched by emotion and he said, your tears are my prayers. Mm and that was beautiful.
0: Yeah, and and it's also interesting to note that the psychologist Deborah says how healthy these Italian men seem to be because Mm -hmm. of their ability to connect with their emotions, because of their ability to be full people, Um, and obviously, like, Eat, Pray, Love is, you know, a female searching for herself, but I think, one, I think every man should read it as well, even though people would be very skeptical, and it's because, They often don't have, um, they're often not in touch with um, themselves in this way. And before... um, Oh,
1: I was just going to say, it caused me to reflect because I grew up in a home where there were lots of tears and my father wasn't afraid to cry. Mm. And so sometimes men can show their emotion, but it doesn't mean that they still have a healthy relationship with their emotion. Right. Yeah. And that's what I saw. There wasn't that healthy relationship with the emotion as much as he was able to show his emotion. So, um, I think that that's an important thing that comes out of this book for me is that it's really teaching us how to have a healthier relationship with ourselves. So whether it's a man or a, a man or a woman, Yeah, right. And tears aren't a bad thing. But how do we find that healthy? Well, of our emotion?
0: Mm -hmm. No, I definitely agree with that. Um, Yeah. And like I said, I really like this really helped me understand how to do that. And I think, you know, it's unfortunate that many men I think would be skeptical of reading a book like this. um, But I think it's it's extremely valuable for that. Um, before we so finally, if
1: I just can ask a question, why do you think this book was marketed only to women as opposed to marketing it to everyone?
0: I don't know. I mean, I think most men wouldn't buy a woman's memoir of traveling and finding herself. Men probably don't even talk about finding themselves. It's not like I hear many men talk about that generally, and then particular if it's some like, half woo woo spiritual lady finding herself i just don't think most men would be at all interested right
1: okay
0: (laughs) like i i i can't think of i can't think off the top of my head of a single man who would be interested about reading about elizabeth gilbert's four months in an indian ashram (laughs)
1: okay
0: like i just i just can't think of anyone (laughs) all right um but hopefully through this podcast we will inspire some men to, to do so. Absolutely. Um, and so before we finally get to Sicily, the there's this small chapter where she goes to buy her Italy pants because she's put on so much weight. (laughs) Um, she's put on so much weight and she's just like happy about it to a degree. Right. She said, I gained, I gained more weight than I needed to, but you know what? I just was going to live my life this way for a bit. Um,
1: and but she, she did She did say that she did gain some of the weight she gained, she needed to gain.
0: Yeah, she said uh, 15 pounds she needed to gain. Right. And gained an extra uh, eight. Eight,
1: eight pounds. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, and it's funny that, uh, you know, jumping to the end of the chapter, she says that like she's put on weight. She's more of a person than she used to be. And she views it as she got her body healthy, her body gained weight she's more of a person. And it's interesting as, you know, I was in a bad state and I had the opposite. Like now that I'm more myself, I've, I lost about 15 pounds because I was not taking care of my body. I was not being fit. And so I like, it's, it's not as, as uh, eloquent as hers putting on weight, being more of a person. But I think it's interesting how the mind, mind and body are like, they're one thing, right? They're they're And, and you can't separate it. And as your mind is unhealthy, your body gets unhealthy as well.
1: And it made me think about the scene when she looked the, the part in the book, which we talked about earlier, when she looked in the mirror and she finally liked what she saw in the mirror, right? The mirror can be our enemy or the mirror can be our friend. It all just depends on our perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, she is a whole, she is becoming more of a whole person. So she's able to look in the mirror and not dislike what she sees or not be devastated by what she sees or not be disturbed by what she sees. She's looking in the mirror and she's seeing her whole self.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so then we get to her the last chapter of this section where she's saying she's going back home for Christmas before going to India and she's gonna take her last week in Sicily. Um, you mentioned a bit earlier how you really liked this part I didn't have too much I, I noted about it. Um, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts, but I, there is a quote from Plato, which is interesting, um, but I'm interested in why you liked it so much. You touched on it a little bit, um, but you said you had a lot of notes.
1: So I did put Plato's, I started with Plato's quote, if you want to share that, no one, no town.
0: No town can live peacefully, whatever its laws, when its citizens do nothing but feast and drink and tire themselves out in the cares of love, which is really like analogous to her part of this like this part of her journey. She can't just do that. She won't have a peaceful life. She can't live and be full. And if all she does is feast and drink and sleep around and stuff right Right. you know whether that's a person or a town if that's all you're occupied with you you can't succeed right
1: well and it links into addiction of any sort right when we become so obsessed and focused on one thing and it become and it starts to manifest as a as an addiction we're now teetering to that one side so we're losing that place in the center where we find balance right and that's what that's talking about
0: yeah, and, and it brings to mind one thing I did that did stick out at me from Sicily is that, you know, when, when the world sucks, you know, and there are things out of your control that suck, focus on what you can control. I'm going to cook the best pasta. I'm going to whatever your pa- and I think too many people, especially in today's culture focus way too much on the stuff not in their control Absolutely. and oh, the world is miserable life is miserable this person's elected that person's elected and it's no actually if everyone focused on improving their life and what they can control and be great at that would fix the world actually and they're like you know Jordan Peterson's famous thing is like clean up your room you have to start there right, right.
1: well it's like I think I mentioned in one of the earlier uh podcasts is that no matter where we go, we have to take ourselves with us. Mm. Right. And so um, most people are afraid of opening that suitcase and unpacking what they take with them.
0: Yeah. And I think the words she uses here are really important. Like what can you do in such an environment to hold a sense of your individual human dignity? Maybe nothing except perhaps to pride yourself on the fact that you can always fillet your fish with perfection, or you make the lightest ricotta in the whole town. So it's, it's dignity and pride. It's you have to value yourself, you have Absolutely. to view yourself as worthy and able in whatever it is you care about. And that's more important than obsessing over, you know, whatever bigger quote, bigger picture items there are, you have to start at home, right?
1: Well, and then when you can have all those little things in place, the bigger ones seem more manageable. And she and talked about become
0: more manageable.
1: Exactly. Because she said, but is it such a bad thing to live like this for a little while, just for a few months of one's life? Is it so awful to travel through time with no greater ambition than to find the next lovely meal or to learn how to speak a language for no higher purpose than it pleases your ear to hear it? Or to nap in a garden in a patch of sunlight in the middle of the day, right next to your favorite fountain. And then do it again the next day. Or not do it if you choose not to, right? But just to, just to go with whatever you feel inside and let that lead you. Instead of, you know, waking up and f- starting your day with the list of all the have tos. Give yourself permission to do the want tos. It doesn't all have to be have to's.
0: Right. I I think that's really important. And it's, again, it's not that you do this forever or you do things that are even detrimental Mm -hmm. to yourself, right? If it's not like, oh, I want to get blackout drunk every night. Okay. That's not like, that's not what she means. That's not what we mean, I don't think. (laughs) But like, there is this idea that you have to start with, well, your life is each day. How do I enjoy my day? What do I want to do? And then how do I build a life where I get to do that?
1: And it's, you know, for a lot of people, I know for myself, as I started to give myself permission to do that, it's baby steps. So maybe it's one little thing a day that you start doing, and then it becomes two things a day, and then it becomes three things a day. And then you're able to identify what your day has to look like for you to be living your healthiest, most fullest life. Right. Yeah. Right?
0: I, yeah. I, I absolutely agree. And I think that's like, most people are scared of that starting point almost of really seeing like, oh, I don't control most of my own day.
1: Absolutely. I want
0: to, I want to quote the full last paragraph, and then we can wrap up you know, this section and, and like these 12 chapters and the section as a whole. I came to Italy pinched and thin. I did not know yet what I deserved. I still maybe don't fully know what I deserved. But I do know that I have collected myself of late through the enjoyment of harmless pleasures into somebody much more intact. The easiest, most fundamentally human way to say it is that I have put on weight. I exist more now than I did four months ago. I will leave Italy noticeably bigger than when I arrived here. And I will leave with the hope that the expansion of one person, the magnification of one life, is indeed an act of worth in this world even if that life this one time happens to be nobody's, but my own. And like, I get goosebumps during that whole thing. I exist more now. I'm more of myself. I'm more of a human because she didn't have herself. She didn't really exist in that marriage, in that love of David. It was all about other. And now she does exist. And, you know, there's one stipulation I have with this last section, but generally like, the expansion of one person, even my own, I'd say, especially my own.
1: Absolutely. And
0: in this world. And that's what people need to focus on. The expansion of yourself is how you expand the universe and expand the world. And it's the only way you have a control over. And it's right. so important. And she understands that or starts to understand it by the end of this uh, four months in Italy.
1: And when you think about the impact that this book has had on, and, and then becoming a movie has had on so many people, right? Whether it's helped them start their journey, whether it's helped them heal through their journey, whether it's just brought them to the realization that they want to go to India or Indonesia, whatever it may be, it has, it has opened a gateway, you know, for other people. And that's what she talks about, you know, the expansion, right? Because it's the butterfly effect. We do one thing, and that one thing can have a ripple effect.
0: Right. That grow
1: that goes around the world. If I can read one what I had highlighted before that, because she said she got to that point where she culminated everything and she brought it all together, but she said. I felt a glimmer of happiness when I started studying Italian. And when you sense a faint potentiality for happiness, after such dark times, you must grab onto the ankles of that happiness and not let it go until it drags you face first out of the dirt. This is not selfishness, but obligation. Remember we talked about obligation, obligation to self. You were given life. It is your duty and also your entitlement as a human being find something beautiful within life no matter how slight
0: yeah i think that i mean i again i might disagree with some of the terms i would say that is selfish right it is selfish to do that and absolutely it's a choice it's i want to be happy and and if you view it as you have to be happy no i want this is i choose to be happy happy. right And, and that is a really powerful sentiment and it brings it back to Well, that's where you start. If, if anyone listening is trying, okay, no solving my whole life seems really difficult, right? Like I'm not happy right now. Well, where do you start? You find one thing that gives you a little bit of happiness and you follow that lead. That's all you can do. That's all there is to be done. And I think what you said about like this book shining for, and helping other people start that journey as well. I think that's what art does and what books do. And Like, it's so important, though it's not the primary. The primary is her getting herself together. And there's this idea of if I, like, let my light shine, it does help others to shine their light. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a really powerful quote in The Fountainhead, um, which I'm going to butcher, but it's basically, like, (laughs) don't work for my... like, don't work for my joy, show me yours, show me it can be accomplished, and you will give me the power to find my own, right, I want to see in the world, people can live great lives, and that will inspire me to live my own, rather than someone just, and I think that's what's really powerful in a lot of good works, including this one.
1: Well, that's why art is so beautiful, right? Because whether it manifests in a painting or music or a book or a movie, it shows us the possibilities of something different through our own perception, right? Because we all can read a book and it resonates differently with us. We, we talked about artwork and we can all look at a painting and it's gonna all impact each of us differently. And she talks about the beauty of art. I don't have the quote, but she did talk about it. And, you know, art gives us permission to look outside of ourselves. If we're open to seeing the possibility that's within ourselves.
0: Right, and I think that's the same with not just art, but like role models, heroes, people we look up to, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's so important. Um, and so that brings us to the end of section one where we're through Italy. Um, I think it was really interesting. It's not, it, it, it was different than I expected it to be. I'm very much, we don't have time uh, today to pre- uh, predict what India will be like, but I think it also might be valuable to just jump into it. Um, but it like, it's a very interesting point she's at right now where it's just kind of like, okay, it's like a baseline. She spent, four months finding, you know, where do I start? Um, and, you know, I think that's a really important thing for people to realize is you know, the first year of my, my journey was getting me to be able to start the rest of it. It was just, you know, like more like damage control, right? Damage control, a few, like starting to tiptoe. Oh, I have stability. Now I can take some steps and sure I'll fall again, but like I'm learning to walk almost. And I think that's where we're at with her um, at the end of this section.
1: And I think also she's she's now um, given herself permission to let go. She let go of David. She let go of her guilt about her marriage. She let go of her guilt about not having children, about not following the typical path. And when we can start to let go... Um,
0: that's the first thing. Cause it's like, we were someone else. We had some other life right. that we didn't want. And yeah, like the first year of my work was tearing. I, I, you know, I had a lot built up. I was tearing myself down because it wasn't me. It was something I built. And so I had to let go and tear down and, and understand, okay, no, who am I? What am I underneath everything? I had built up all of these labels and everything else. And so, you know, we see in Italy, she tears that down and then she starts to just, like a newborn child, explore just Italy, just be. And, and yeah, be. it wasn't so deep and, and moving, but it mm-hmm. was just her, like, starting to discover what she likes in a, and in a simple way. And it's not necessarily profound, but it's necessary, right?
1: Right. And sometimes the simplest things, this, the simplicity... That we allow into our life provides us with the most clarity. Mm-hmm. And so she is now ready to go to India because she's ready to just be.
0: Yeah. and so it'll it'll be very interesting the next time we talk we'll have jumped way in because she gets right into Italy and into the ashram like
1: into India yeah into
0: Italy India, sorry, and yeah. into the ashram very quickly so um we'll be in a very different part of her journey uh, 12 chapters from now but i'm very excited to see uh see how that goes
1: i'm excited too thank you david
0: thanks